Take your Bibles and let's go to uh, John chapter 1 this morning. Hope you're already there and uh, can't wait to be able to uh, open this uh, text of Scripture with you. As you're turning there, I want you to imagine with me that you're a literature teacher in an elementary or middle school. So you're a literature teacher. And you have to decide which particular books you're going to have your students read over the course of the year. So you want to form their minds, you want to shape their affections, so what classic books would you have them read? I did some research this last week and found a list of top 50 books. Here's five from that list. Now don't be offended if your like, favorite book is not on the list, but let me give you just what this website said. They're not in any particular order. So um, first would be Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Alice in Wonderland, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, um, Winnie the Pooh, and Beauty and the, uh, no, Black Beauty, not Beauty and the Beast, Black Beauty, that's what it was. Now, if you're a Tolkien fan, it made the list, just so you know, but just not on the list that I saw, uh, the top five. But each of those books have a particular reason why they made the, the, the top five or the, made it into the top 50. One particular book that I didn't mention got pretty high marks, Charlotte's Web. And you remember the story of this pig named Wilbur who befriends a spider named Charlotte, and the book is about the interplay of their relationship and fairness and just this whole sort of barnyard community. Those books, each of them are chosen because they have a particular message that we might think is foundational, a particular idea that would be important for a child to learn and to be able to grab a hold of. So there are some books in the midst of all of the good books that are more foundational and more important than others because of the simplicity of their message, because of the centrality of what they communicate. And what's true in literature is also true about the Bible. Every single book in the Bible is inspired. Every single book in the Bible is important. 1 Timothy 3 tells us that the entire Bible, or 2 Timothy 3, says that all Scripture is profitable and it's useful. But there are some particular books of the Bible that are incredibly important. They're foundational to the rest of the Bible. For instance, if you're a, a person who's a new believer and you were to ask me, where should I start reading in the Bible? I would not tell you to start in Leviticus. <laughs> I would not tell you to start in Deuteronomy. It's inspired, and it's good biblical material, but there are other books that I would have you begin in. This morning, we're starting in one of those kind of books. The Gospel of John is a foundational book for our understanding of what the entire Bible is about. It's a masterful account of the story of Jesus' life and of his teaching. It's a story about the response of people and how they reacted to what Jesus said. And today we're going to begin a, a nine-week series on the Gospel of John, but here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is we're only going to cover 18 verses in nine weeks. The bad news is, is that we're only going to cover 18 verses in nine weeks. And now in 2019, we're going to continue to study the book of John, and we'll be completing it in the year 2030. So glad that you're here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'll pick up the pace a little bit. In my last church, I 
walked through the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> had 69 consecutive messages in the book of Hebrews, and I was the only person that thought that was cool in my church. So <laughs> I've learned from that, and so we'll break it up, and we'll pick up the pace a little bit, but this is an important passage of Scripture. It is what Dale mentioned, the prologue of the book. It's the first 18 verses represent the heart of the heart of this gospel, and this gospel represents the heart of the heart of the entire New Testament. Within this First section, these 18 verses are words and metaphors and ideas that, that shape the rest of the gospel, and for that matter, shape the rest of the New Testament. And so, in times past, we've gone through passages and we've had to kind of go pretty quickly. Well, in this case, we're gonna go really slowly, like really, really slowly. Today, we're just gonna cover verses one to three. Next week, verses four to five. And my hope is that you will come to love the Gospel of John. You'll come to love the very words within the Gospel of John. Verse one says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John starts this Gospel as if it sounds like Genesis 1-1. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John intends for there to be some sort of tone alignment with the very first book of the whole Bible. He's different than any other gospel writer. Matthew, another gospel writer, starts with a genealogy. Mark begins with the story of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. Luke begins with the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. But John goes all the way to the beginning. What's also interesting is that John doesn't even mention the name Jesus until verse 17. He starts this beautiful gospel highlighting the life and teaching of Jesus in a very important way. There's three essential truths that John highlights in this gospel, and there's three truths that you need to know about who Jesus is. And these three verses identify them very clearly for us. Here they are. Number one, Jesus is the Word. Number two, Jesus is God. And number three, Jesus is the Creator. So in order to understand the whole Bible, in order to understand what Christianity is all about, and for that matter, in order to become a Christian, you have to understand that Jesus is the Word, that Jesus is God, and Jesus is the Creator. I want to help you understand why all three of those are so important and why John starts this way in John chapter 1. So first, Jesus is the Word. The text is so clear. The word, Word, is mentioned three times. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now in a moment, I'll unpack for you what does it mean that he was in the beginning, what does it mean that he was with God, and what does it mean that he was God. For right now, though, we're going to start with what this Word word means it's interesting he says in the beginning was the word and then verse 2 we find it says he was in the beginning with God so there's this personification of the word whatever the concept of word is it is personalized in the person and work of Jesus in verse 14 we see this explicitly clear it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So John's aim is to help you understand who this word is and it is none other than the person of Jesus. But John could have started the gospel a different way. He could have started by saying something like this, in the beginning was Jesus. 
Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, but he doesn't. Now he starts with, in the beginning was the word. Why does he start that way? Well, one reason is that John is writing to unbelievers. His aim, as you'll see later, is to help believers, unbelievers, cross the line from unbelief to belief. He wants to prove to you that Jesus really is who he claims to be. He wants you to be able to receive eternal life. He wants you to receive the forgiveness of your sins. But in order for that to happen, you have to believe in who Jesus is. That's what John's aim is. And so what he does is he starts with a, a common idea that would have been familiar to those reading his gospel. You see, Matthew wrote targeting Jewish people. Mark wrote targeting Roman people. Luke wrote targeting Greek people. But John writes to try and reach everyone. Surely you know one of the most famous passages in John's gospel. For God so loved the, what's the next word? World, right? So that's who John writes to. He writes to the world. He wants the world to know who Jesus is. And so he uses this word, word, in order to connect into the very culture into which he was speaking. This is really important, by the way, when you share the gospel, to realize that part of your role is not only to get the truth right, but to make the right bridges into where people live, to start with where they are and then lead them to the gospel, help them understand. This is what John does. Why does he use the word, word? Well, this idea is embedded in the philosophy of the day in which John lived. There was a group of philosophers called the Stoics who believed that the word, or the Greek word is logos, the, the logos was the essence of the human soul. It was sort of the, the, this, this universal principle by which the world existed. You could think of it as the thing that was in the middle that controlled all things. And they believed that everything had its beginning in this word. You can think of it like the oracle, like the source of all things. It was almost godlike to them. For those of us who are the children of the Enlightenment and then modernity and post-modernity, think how important reason is in terms of how we see the world. We think something is true if it makes sense. We think something is true if it can be scientifically proven. So at the core of sort of our culture is this does it make sense and can it be proven? Then it must be real, it must be true. Well, that's what Logos was in John's culture. What's more, Logos has the idea of communication or speech. He's connecting it to even the concepts that we find in the Old Testament. For those of you who know the beginning story of the Bible in the book of Genesis, you'll know that the creation narrative sounds like this. God spoke and there was light. Or another translation, God said, let there be light. So the idea is that God's speech is powerful, that he creates by virtue of what he says. Psalm 33, six says this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Furthermore, God doesn't just create by his word, but he delivers through his word. Psalm 107.20 says that he sent out his word and delivered them. 
And God reveals himself by his word. He says to the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. So God speaks through his word. God creates through his word. God delivers through his word. And so what John wants you to know is this, this philosophical center that my culture thinks is the middle of all things, the source of everything that we think about, like the oracle of our culture, this thing that reveals who God is like, this thing that, that creates virtue by virtue of its power and this thing that has the ability to deliver is none other than the person of Jesus. John wants you to understand that he's the center of the universe. He's the creator. He is the one who's the self-disclosure of God. He's the personification of everything you need to know about God. John wants you to know that there is this powerful connection between what Jesus is and what the word, word means. That Jesus possesses the power of God. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the full revelation of God. That Jesus is in the center of the universe. He's the focal point of redemptive history. That Jesus is the means and the hope of salvation. And this, that Jesus is the self-disclosure of God. In other words, if you wanna know what God is like, if you want to know, what's the creator of the world like? What is his heart and what is, makes him upset and what does he love? John would show you the person of Jesus. He is the self-disclosure of God. He is the word of God. Now, why does that matter? It matters because the gospel of John is designed to show you who Jesus is. Every story, every message, and even the order in which John placed them is designed to help you know something about Jesus. John saw the glory of Jesus. In John 1.14 it says, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John saw his glory, and what John wants to happen is for you to see his glory. And that's why he writes the stories that he does. He records the teaching of Jesus. He wants you to see who Jesus is. And the reason is simple, but it is also eternally significant, and it's this. Friend, if you don't know who Jesus is, you will not know who God is. If you don't know who Jesus is, you will not know who God is. Jesus himself said it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So part of the claim of Jesus and part of the claim of John is that there aren't many ways to get to God. You may be here today and you may be investigating Christianity because you think it's one of many pathways to be right with God. Jesus would tell you there is only one way. In fact, this concept of the exclusivity of Christ is what led him to be crucified. And it's what's led to many Christians being killed. Jesus claims that if you don't know what he's like, you don't know what God is like. So as we start our journey in this text, I want you to know that my aim for you, my aim for all of us, is not just that you would know more about the Gospel of John. 
You may have woken up this morning knowing that we're gonna study the Gospel of John and maybe your heart was really excited because you love book studies of the Bible. You love looking at what the historical backgrounds are or understanding what particular words are. You like to know what the context of the stories are within the scriptures. You just like to know more about the Bible and while there would be nothing wrong in and of itself in that particular desire, you need to know John's aim is not for you just to know about the Gospel of John. His aim is for you to know Jesus. His aim is for you to love Jesus. His aim is for you to believe in Jesus. So for those of you who are Christians, can I just ask you, as we kind of begin our journey through this glorious book, for you to do a little bit of a heart check this morning? Can I ask you, do you love the Bible, or do you love Jesus? Do you love theology, or do you love Jesus? Do you love the church? Or do you love Jesus? Because what John is going to do is he's gonna lay before a story, story, teaching, response with a singular aim is that at the end of the day with his book, he wants you to love Jesus more, not just to love Christianity more. He wants you to love Jesus more, not just to love his gospel more. He wants you to fall in love with this son of God who came, who was the self-disclosure of God in order so that we might know what he is like. Some of you, as we start this journey into John, need to begin by just saying, Jesus, would you help me love you? Because I don't, like I believe in you, but I don't, I don't, like, I don't love you like I used to. As we go back into the story of Jesus' life, my hope is that old affections will be rekindled because our aim as a church and the aim of this series is to ignite within you a passion to follow Jesus, not a system, not a theology, not a religion, but to follow Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus is the word, he's the self-disclosure of God. He tells us what God is like. Here's the second thing. The text also tells us that Jesus is God. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. There's four statements there. Each of them are important. When he says, in the beginning was the word, John wants us to know that at the very beginning, the very beginning of all things, the very beginning of the universe as we know it, Jesus was there. His goal is not just to echo Genesis chapter one and verse one, but also to make it clear that the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, who walked on the face of the earth, was there before anything ever was. He was there in the beginning in order so that you might know that the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, possesses the same pre-existence as God because he is God. He was in the beginning. Secondly, it says the word was with God. Now, this word with, its connection to the word word, doesn't just simply mean that Jesus was in close proximity to God, like he was with, he walked with her. Could mean, well, they're walking together. The idea of the word with has more to do with identification, agreement, intimacy, partnership, agreement of some sort. It would be like if I were to say to you, hey, are you with me? You know what I'd be asking. And the idea is that the word was with God, a reference to the fact that Jesus is a member of the triune Godhead. 
He was in relationship with the Father, something that will become even more clear in verse 14. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. Third here, the Word was God. Here is the definitive statement that John absolutely wants us to know. He wants to affirm that Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. As we'll see later on in John's Gospel, this is the very claim that would lead to the cross, and Jesus makes it very clear through his teaching that he is God. And John wants you to know definitively that this Word namely Jesus, was and is God. And then finally, in the beginning, he was in the beginning with God. Here's a summary statement, verse two. Serves sort of as a repetition of what was said in the first part of verse one, but also it serves as a summary of all of what John is saying, that as he starts his explanation of the narrative of Jesus' life, He wants to be sure that you understand that this God-man, Jesus, who was born in the city of Bethlehem, was truly God. Now why does he go to all, why does he take time to explain this and to identify the central truth? The reason is, is that John's aim is he wants you to hear that Jesus is God and he wants you to believe that that's indeed true. So if you were to take one word and make it the summary for the entire Gospel of John, it would be that word, believe. You could write it in the top of your margin of your Bible. Just think of that word as the important center of what John is trying to communicate in terms of the message from this book. He wants us to believe. I spent some time just reading the Gospel of John in my personal devotions this last week and did a just a little survey of the number of times that the word believe is used. It's used almost a hundred times in John's gospel. As I was spending time reading through chapters one, chapters two, three, and four, I just kept running into these beautiful texts that have the word believe in them. Let me just give you a sampling. John 1, 7, he came as a witness. This is regarding John. He came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. Regarding salvation, John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Regarding the disciples, after they see the first miracle, John says this in John 2, verse 11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And then, of course, you know, regarding eternal life, the most probably famous text in all of the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's just through chapter three. You could go on for the rest of the 18 other chapters that are within the body of this glorious book. John's mission is to point you towards believing that Jesus is the Son of God. The question then you might want to consider is why would John be so passionate that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And here's the reason. If he isn't God, then the whole of redemption collapses. If he isn't God, the cross is of no consequence. If he's not God, he can't offer forgiveness to wicked sinners like you and me. 
You might wonder, well, why? Why does he have to be God? Here's why. Because my sins require atonement, and I can't even atone for my own sins. I can't balance the scales of divine justice on my own, because anything that I would do would be tainted by my own sinfulness. I can't, I can't somehow remedy my own brokenness. I need someone else to be able to do that for me. And there is no way that God could offer forgiveness to all people, all those who would receive Christ, unless the sacrifice was the very Son of God, unless he didn't deserve to die, unless he was absolutely perfect, unless he absolutely didn't have to bear the penalty of his own sin, there's no way that, that sacrifice and forgiveness of sins could be offered. So Jesus must be the Son of God in order for salvation to be offered, not just to one, but to any who would come to receive Christ. And what John wants you to do is he wants you to believe in that truth. He wants you to cross the line from being an unbeliever to a believer. He wants you to cross the line from not believing that Jesus is the Son of God to believing that he is so that you might have life in his name. So John aims to convince us of this fact. So all throughout this series, you're gonna hear me call you to believe, to believe, to believe, to believe, because that's what John does over and over and over. If you're a Christian, do you realize that belief is what made you a Christian? If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, my hope is that this sermon will sermon series, and maybe even today, will cause you to be convinced that Jesus really is the Son of God. There's been many people who have read through John's gospel and been gloriously converted as they were confronted with the reality of who Jesus is. And I pray that that would be the case for some of you who are here and not yet a Christian. But if you are a follower of Jesus, can I just encourage you what this book can do? This book can remind you of the truths that you love. In fact, the truths maybe that you used to love in a way that you're struggling to love them today. This, this, this book can remind you of the kind of affection, the kind of heart that maybe marked your relationship with Christ in the past. In that respect, the Gospel of John can be a, a really good help to reinvigorate some Jesus-centered affections. I thought about how to just illustrate this for you, and the, the best example that I could give would be a trip that I took my wife on about seven years after we were married to Mackinac Island. We had had a very busy season, pastoral ministry, birth of three children, and we hadn't taken a trip together like that prior um, to that moment. But seven years into our marriage, or somewhere thereabouts, we were able to get away together, and so we went up to northern Michigan, and there's an island called Mackinac Island, and in order to get there, you have to go on a boat. And I remember as we loaded up on the boat, started to go across Lake Michigan to that island, I looked over, had my arm around my wife, and her hair was blowing in the wind, and she was laughing, and we were enjoying one another. And I just looked at her, and I got a snapshot of the way things kind of used to be, used to have been when we were first married. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we were happily married. We had a good marriage. And yet there was this moment where I was just like seeing her hair flowing in the wind and looking at me, and I was like, hi, and I thought, why don't we do this more often, right? You understand what I'm saying? And as a result, I was like, we need to do this, this more often, that the, the, the trip helped to kind of reinvigorate the emotions that had been there all along, but needed to be sort of rekindled and resurfaced. 
And my hope is that what will happen through the Gospel of John is that this book will be a bit like that kind of trip for you. That you'll be able to sort of get back in the boat with Jesus and to be reminded of the beauty of what it is for him to be your Savior and Lord. For you to understand the significance of what he says. That you'll read the words in John's Gospel and you'll just be like, this is so, so glorious. And some of you need that. Because you've known Jesus a long time in your lifetime, but you've slipped into you're just going to analyze Jesus and study Jesus and exegete Jesus and outline Jesus. But the reality is John wants you to love Jesus. He wants you to weep at the feet of Jesus. He wants you to see him for what he's like. He wants you to keep believing So Jesus is the word, Jesus is God. Third, Jesus here is the creator. The third foundational truth is found in verse three. He says this, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So John wants to make something very clear. Essentially, he's the creator And there is nothing that is that Jesus didn't make. So he says it first positively, and then he says it negatively. Positively, Jesus is the creator. Everything is made through him. John wants those of us who read his gospel to know that Jesus is the agent of creation. All things were made through him. Everything owes its existence. Everything owes its life to Jesus. But then John goes even further. He's, he wants you to be absolutely sure that he, you know what he's saying. And he says, without him was not anything made that was made. John wants you to know not only is, the, he, he, is he the agent of creation, but he's also necessary for everything that has been created. There is nothing that is that wasn't made without him. Now, why does John want this to be so clear? Why does he establish the creator role of Jesus? The Apostle Paul helps us to understand this. This is what Colossians chapter one and verse 15 to 20 says, if I can get it pulled up. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were made through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Here it comes. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So why is it important that Jesus is the creator? Here's why. Because if Jesus is the creator, then he has authority over everything. He owns everything. He possesses everything. Everything belongs to him. And that changes everything. That changes the concept of fairness. That changes the concept of what it means to disobey him. It means that Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. 
It means that when the smoke of history settles, there's gonna be one person standing, and that one person is the creator of the universe, namely Jesus. All things were made by him, and for him, and through him, and to him. Everything exists for him, and that means this, that when you reject the King of Kings, when you reject the Jesus of the Gospel of John, you are not just making a mistake, you are committing treason. You say to him, I don't believe in you, You're not just saying, I don't believe in you, but I believe in this other thing, as if that other thing is safe. You're saying, I don't believe in you, and I'm risking my eternal destiny because you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the one who I will stand before because he's the creator of all things. Later on in John, we'll hear that he came to his own things, his own people, his own country, his own world. He came to the very people who he breathed life into their very bodies, and they're the ones who rejected him. So failing to submit to Jesus is eternally dangerous. So when we talk about what it means to believe in Jesus, it isn't just that you believe in Jesus so that you are forgiven of your sins. It is that you believe in Jesus because he's king of kings and lord of lords. So the question then John wants us to all answer is this, why did Jesus come? That's what he is attempting to help us wrestle with. Why did he write his gospel? It's because he wants you to understand who Jesus is. He wants you to see what Jesus is really like and everything in this book will point you toward not just understanding Jesus, but also believing in him and receiving him and submitting to him. At the end of the resurrection account in John chapter 20, when John is sort of wrapping up his book, he gives us what you really could see as the summary of why John wrote. And here's what John said. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? Why did he write? Here's why. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There it is. This book is written so that you might believe. This this book is written so you can know why Jesus came, so you can believe in him, so that you might have life through him. So if you're already a believer, here's what I want to have happen in the Gospel of John. As you read through this Gospel, as we study this Gospel, as you see who Jesus is, I want something welling up within your heart where you see this and hear this and experience it, and you go, man, I love Jesus. Man, I love Jesus. Not, man, I love the Bible. Not, man, I love the Gospel of John. Not, man, I love my church. As great as those things may be, but that you walk out of here today thinking, man, I love Jesus I want to follow Jesus. I love what Jesus says. I love what Jesus does. He's my king. He's my Lord, my Savior. Man, I love Jesus. And then I want you thinking about somebody who you know who doesn't think that yet, and I want you to invite them to come to one of our sermons in the context of this sermon series on John, that you might say, I want my friend to say, man, I love Jesus. And you might pray for them and pray for them this week and say, God, would you help them? Because I want them to love Jesus and I want us to be able to love Jesus together to hear the same message, the same sermon, to sing the same songs and for that person to be a part of the family of God where you could say, we love Jesus together. You may be here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And my encouragement to you would be keep coming 
Maybe you've been coming here for a long time and you're still trying to, to figure out the claims of Jesus and this book will help you. I hope that you'll come to see that Jesus is indeed the full disclosure of what God is like. He is God and he is creator and that you might come to believe that Jesus really can be your savior. Of all the books in the Bible, John's Gospel is a must read. All the Bible's important, don't get me wrong, but the Gospel of John is essential because it lays out a vision of who Jesus is and it invites all of us to do one thing, to believe, to believe.